Welcome to 15 Minute Fundamentals, where we break down crypto projects and learn about the drivers behind the data you see on our charts. Today, I'm joined by Jacob Blish from Lido Finance, a liquid staking solution for ETH and other assets. Hey, Jacob. Welcome to 15 Minute Fundamentals. It's great to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. It'd be great if you can kick us off with just a quick intro to Lido for those not yet familiar. Yeah, so Lido is a liquid staking protocol, and it's the current market leader in the space for those that aren't aware liquid staking um, for proof of stake systems when you lock up your collateral in order to secure the network. You're providing a service, but you lose access to the liquidity in order to get modest yield. And we see that as a paradox of choice because you have to choose between securing the POS network or being a DGEN and DeFi farmer. And so what a liquid staking protocol such as Lido does is it allows you to stake into the proof of stake chain and we issue you a receipt, if you will, a certificate of deposit is how we sometimes think about it, that represents the underlying collateral that can be used in other DeFi strategies for additional yield earning opportunities. So it lets you have your cake and eat it too. Could you walk me through Lido's business model so we get a picture of how cash flows both through and to the protocol? Yeah. So the way Lido earns revenue, since we're providing a service uh, with liquid staking, we charge, the protocol has a fee of 10% of the yield. So we don't touch your principal. We only touch the, the earned yield on top of it. And so if Ethereum's a 4% APR over a year, we take 0.4% of that, pass the rest on to the end user. That fee is split 50-50 between our infrastructure pr uh, providers, our node operator partners, and the treasury. So we basically car 5% that ultimately of the yield that lands ultimately in the, the Lido treasury for general use, operating expenses, payroll, all that good stuff. Got it. So you take a 10% cut of the total yield generated of which half goes to the protocol's treasury, which we can see on our revenue share chart as the dark blue bar representing protocol revenue. And the other half of your cut goes to your node operator partners as supply side revenue. Um, as is the case with the bulk of yield generated on the platform. So 90%, which goes directly to stakers. And um, we're currently working on listing your data from all chains. But as of right now, the data that we see on the dashboard is purely on Ethereum. Um, how much of your revenue usage is currently coming from outside of the ETH ecosystem? Well, now it's maybe 5%. Um, most of our other networks are very nascent and new. Um, before the Terra incident about a month ago, it was <laughs> closer to about 50 or 60%. Um, but since Terra's gone, ETH is now our, our golden goose. What are the networks that you currently support? We're currently live in production on Ethereum, Solana, Polygon, and Kusama and Polkadot. And we're, we're currently in the build-out mode for Cosmos, Avalanche, and Nier. And those should be coming later this year. Got it. And back to the revenue chart, I want to speak a bit about growth drivers, because if we look at your chart and open up the yearly view, you've shown really strong, consistent growth, even despite the fact that we've been in a pretty solid uh, downtrend over the last few months. Um, what have the drivers been behind both this growth and your ability to maintain your revenues at their current level, despite the market crashing around you? And then if there's any challenges currently related to your growth, I'd love to hear about those too. Yeah, so the, the main drivers is since STETH is, is an interest-bearing asset, we view it as a fundamentally better version of Ethereum. You're helping keep the protocol decentralized. You're earning yield for providing that service. 
and it's flexible enough and deeply integrated that you can go and do all the normal DeFi strategies you would. So our our main value proposition is why would you use ETH other than gas costs and not use a representative asset that just has all the benefits um, with minimal risk and it's the typical smart contract risk, all that good stuff. So our revenues are pretty much protected until the withdrawals are enabled because our revenue is based off of the ETH that is in fact staked on the beacon chain. So whether it's liquid staking stake or normal native stake, um, it's locked up until the merge completes. So our revenues based off of that can't go down. Our STETH, the representative certificate of deposit can go down, but that will always be backed one-to-one with native ETH and at time of future withdrawal, assuming Ethereum doesn't break, assuming there's no smart contract hack on our end, assuming the merge actually happens and doesn't get pushed off infinitely, which are very large existential problems. But our revenue is tied to until withdrawals happen, you can't really affect it directly. Um, so that in a, in a certain way is kind of nice because we have uh, predictable revenue. The The biggest barriers we're seeing to growth currently, um, which we hadn't maybe two months ago, is now due to our success of our value proposition and our growth strategies. We're now sufficiently big that we are opening up conversations around is Lido too big and are we a centralization risk for the, the network? Um, that's a very complex and loaded topic, but that along with just current market dynamics have really slowed and challenged our growth um, pace. The other thing is we've captured, this is a hypothesis, but we feel we've captured the vast majority of the Web3 retail, like Web3 native retail market, meaning the the DGENs. And so now we're starting to explore other customer types, whether that's Web2 crypto curious, like the Robinhoods, PayPal's, Venmo's, where you can dip your toe in, um, or things like institutional high net worth individuals, because whether people like it or not, institutional capital is coming into the space in one way or another. So that's kind of where we see growth opportunities and some of the the challenges we're currently facing. Got it. And as your revenues have kept really stable, what do you think about the somewhat negative correlation between your revenue development and market cap? Is that due to the current ongoing discussion around centralization or is there something else there? For the larger narrative around our market cap, especially looking through LDO, that's where a lot of this is happening is there's global macro issues with outside of crypto. And, you know, the narrative for us with our assets is if our ST assets is if you're not interested in buying ETH, you're definitely not interested in buying ST ETH. And in a bull market, it's the same. If you're really interested in hype on ETH, you're even more so on SDETH because it's like a magnification of your your stance pro or con against a certain network. Um, but the LDO token is representative of greater macro, the ongoing debate with um, with us in terms of our, our success and how large we are, and just general uncertainty now that SDETH is, its exchange rate is going off a little bit that's creating some of the downward pressure on our governance valuation. Now, what are your thoughts on the current price difference between ETH and uh, STETH? Um, I'm joking internally. I think it's a great, I, I think it's a great buy. It, it boils down to if you're long ETH and you think the merge is going to happen and you think that Lido is not going to get hacked, then you're getting a year worth of interest for free. Like right now you earn one whole year of APR scot-free it's not like UST where it's not actively collateralized. 
every single STETH at time of the merge withdrawals is worth exactly one ETH. Not more, not less. It is exactly one-to-one redemption. It is guaranteed. Again, unless our smart contract gets hacked or ETH blows up or whatever, of course, we would like it to be one-to-one. It affects some of our, our other conversations in terms of business development. But for us, if you're long ETH, it's it's a deal. It's a discount on on long ETH. Exactly. So so for ETH and Lido bulls, it's a pretty lucrative arbitrage opportunity right there. Um, a, a couple steps back to the LDO token. How are you currently utilizing token incentive? So um, our biggest one is, and I, I'll just speak especially for Ethereum because it's a little bit more unique. The the biggest thing is with the withdrawals not being available yet. There's there's a discounted future cash flow on STE. It's basically, are you long ETH? Is the liquidity premium of like portability today worth the trade-off of smart contract risk and the future time horizon of when the merge will happen? Um, so we use incentives primarily to help hold the exchange rate. Now that we're in such a choppy market, that is less, we're not going to be doing that as, as much because when it was more of like just general chop of market, we didn't, we didn't mind kind of smoothing out those bumps for the user experience. But when the whole market is going down, you know, us throwing $50 million at a multi-billion dollar downward pressure is just going to be us throwing money into a garbage can. So now the incentives are more about creating certain behaviors that pull down on loose ST asset liquidity. So getting them into lending protocols where you still have exposure, but it's off the market, putting them into single asset, single, single staked asset vaults. So we're working with like with Tokamak and Ondo. So instead of you providing both STETH and ETH, you would provide just STETH. And so instead of getting your APR diluted from 4% to 2% and then us having to re-incent on top, now you can just get that 4% and then we can do marginal extra incentives. So we, we basically use incentives as well as the grant programs to kind of coordinate human behavior where we think it would be most beneficial both to the end user and also for growth of the the protocol, very candidly. How about user composition? Like, who are these users that are currently um, on Lido? Because in the beginning, you touched on the fact that yes, institutional adoption is inevitable, and then you have pretty good coverage in the DGen space, DGen users. Um, what is the split between these two user groups right now, and how do you expect it to develop into the future? I, I would say ninety five to ninety nine percent are Web three crypto native DeFi users. So that's either people like myself, where I'm a DGEN and I ape into things, or it's crypto native VCs or whales, like the the players you might know and love in the space. Um, some of the CFI custodial platforms, but they represent themselves retail users. They're taking you know advanced strategies on behalf of the aggregated um, end user. So Web3 crypto native is by far and away the majority we, like I said, we just started this quarter really spearheading against institutions and starting the education conversations there as well as more crypto curious, I guess, one level out. So those those are probably less than 1%. We're also exploring the NFT space. There's just a huge influx of money and users, and we think there's there's something there for it. And do you have a view into the data of what the split is within these crypto native users between retail and others? We don't buy the specific user, but by their wallet size. I guess we do a lot of on-chain analytics so we can understand how it's split. And 
our TVL, like looking at it from an AUM perspective, it's it's pretty evenly distributed. It's kind of like an L curve um, down with some users, of course. I think our largest two stakers have staked like 100,000 ETH a piece. I mean, it's just something absurd. Um, and then there's more net users on the longer tail. So like between one and 10 ETH is where most of our users are. And it gets less and less as a per user basis as you get larger. But in terms of the total amount of ETH staked, it's pretty evenly distributed across the shrimp or the minnow, the shrimp, the dolphin and the whale, I think is what we, <laughs> and then the kraken being like the largest. <laughs> yeah. Cause, Cause I think that that's a really interesting one that I've been thinking of that from a user, from a retail user's perspective is Lido's core value prop, the fact that you can stake with less than 32 ETH, or is it making the actual staking easier that I don't have to run a validator here at home if I have over 32 ETH? It's it's all of those. You can stake as little as 0.1 instead of 32. You don't have to run the infrastructure. Um, even if you do, we're actually looking into solo staking. So even if you want to run your own validator, you may still want a liquid staking asset. So we're looking at setting it up so that solo stakers wouldn't be subject to a protocol fee. They could like join the Lido pool, but if they're running all the hardware themselves of their own um, assets, we're not going to take a fee on it just so they can provide a, a liquid token because more liquid liquidity around STETH still helps our protocol from integrations and, and all of those good things. Final question would be that what's next for Lido? What, what, what are like the core upcoming developments in your roadmap? Um, I mean, it's pretty boring for the next year. All hands on the ETH side is prioritizing the merge. It's kind of a big deal and we really don't want to mess up $8 billion of assets. So like we want to, we kind of want to get that one right. So that's a huge part expanding to L2s, um, which is also difficult because is it going to be Arbitrum? Is it going to be Optimism? Is it going to be ZK Sync? Is it going to be Starkware? So we're working with all of them. Um, also, the hypothesis, if ETH does become hot lava, too expensive and slow for most people, they're going to go from a centralized exchange or fiat on wrap straight into an L2. So we need to be there. Um, more broadly, I mentioned we're expanding to Cosmos. We're expanding to Near and Avalanche. Um, we're exploring other chains. Those are more in the research phase, so I don't want to give them uh, too much credence. After that, like that covers probably two years. Longer term, we're really starting to explore building Lido into a platform. So can we get other protocols or projects to build on top of our ST assets? Like a lazy one that we've played with is take this to the nth degree. If we're covering 15 L1s and we have a macro representation through synthetic assets of the Web3 economy, could we spin up a crypto native asset backed stablecoin? Not pegged to a dollar, but similar to what Olympus was trying to do, a crypto native stablecoin, which is interesting because you'll lose some of the potential upside of a single uh, ecosystem run. But as Web3 as a whole ebbs and flows, it could give you kind of an ETF or index representative of it. Um, so if anyone's looking to build that, we have a grants program. We just don't have time to get around to that. But we're looking at those types of ideas that leverage our assets to build something. Sticking with the DeFi Legos, going to the next Lego block up. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jacob. This was a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, no worries. 